a wine museum, a burgeoning craft beer scene, and a battle between breakfast pastries. This week, we're in Porto, Portugal. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. This is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Welcome. Each week, it's a different city or country and the food that makes that place famous. And this week, we're in Porto, Portugal, with foodie tour guide Andre Apolinario. Andre's company is called Taste Porto, and I first talked to Andre on episode 46 of the podcast. Hard to believe it's been a whole year since I talked to Andre. We talked about wine, the famous tiles of Porto, a monster sandwich from the city, and a liqueur made by monks. It was a great episode, and you can listen to it for free at radiomisfits.com slash DED46. That's radiomisfits.com slash DED46. Recently, I read about a new compound of six museums and nine restaurants called World of Wine in Porto. So I decided to catch up with my old pal Andre. He told me about this cool new facility of wine and food, and we talked about a few things that we didn't touch on during our last conversation, like Porto's craft beers and the best pastries and chocolate, too. One note, though, at one point, we're talking about pairing beer with food, and I say the word pinchos. Now, Andre gently corrects me by using the proper term, patiscos. Uh, patiscos are small plates in Portugal, and I got the word mixed up with pinchos, which is the word for small plates in the Basque region of Spain. Two completely different things, but that's what happens sometimes when you're doing an interview live. So that's what that mix-up is. Before we get there, though, this is the 100th episode of Destination Eat Drink each Friday for almost two years. I've been dropping a new episode. We've been all over the world to every continent except Antarctica. And who knows, maybe someday we'll do an episode of Antarctica. I mean, it would be interesting to talk to a scientist working at the South Pole and what they eat, don't you think? Maybe I should do that. Anyway, all 100 episodes of the podcast are available to download for free at radiomisfits.com or the podcast platform of your choice. We're on all of them, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon at music.amazon.com. Destination, eat, drink. Andre, it's been almost a year since we talked to you. Can't believe it's been nearly a year. It's been such a crazy 12 months. But um, tell me, how has Porto done during the pandemic and how are you guys doing right now well first of all uh thank you so much Brent, for uh reaching back um porto did quite well i would say the both the portuguese government and the mayor uh acted quite swiftly and in anticipation uh so we were in lockdown since uh march 14th until the end of may um and the numbers were kept uh, quite low. Of course, that the economy went into a into a full full stop and tourism as well. But after June, uh, I would say mid June, we started to see things slowly, step by step, coming back. And now uh, you can see tourism back on in Porto. Tourists coming from all corners of Europe, 
to visit the city as well. So I believe that now we're coming back up. I would have to say that the numbers are also coming back up a little bit, the number of people with COVID, but we're still, those numbers are quite low still. So I'm quite anxious to see what the fall will bring us in the sense of, I feel that people are losing their, the, the scare of traveling and their, uh, the, the aviation has, has brought people some, uh, the sense of safety. So people want to fly and go across Europe to, to visit a new city. And uh, since we sent out a, a message of also safety within uh, restaurants, but the Portuguese Tourism Board brought along this seal, uh, calling it clean and safe, that both restaurants, bars, and even tour operators can, can bring along. Uh, meaning that you're providing your customers with community masks, with hand sanitizer, everything is prepared upon your arrival. So I believe that because of all of this, people are finding their way to Portugal and the numbers keep, uh, the number of visitors keep just going up and up. We as Americans, we can't come to Europe yet. Um, who are most of the, where are most of the tourists coming from that you see right now in Porto? We've been getting uh, a lot of people from Germany, England, also Switzerland, France, uh, and Spain. So these are the, I would say that this would be uh, the vast majority of what I've been seeing. But on our tours, we've been surprised also with people from, from Poland, from Romania, from all corners of Europe. But I would say that uh, maybe the top five would be England, uh, Germany, Spain, France, and maybe Holland. Andre, you guys have this great new attraction in Porto called World of Wine. Wow, for short. Wow. Then. I, I read about this and I thought, man, I got to get in touch with Andre right away and find out about uh, World of Wine. So what can you tell me about this new place in Porto? World of Wine, I've, I've visited the place. It's a, a new endeavor by the Flatgate Partnership, the, the owners of Taylor's Port Wine, for you to have a, a referral on that. It's a place where food and wine lovers visiting Porto can have an, in, an initial introduction uh, to to wine, but not just that, to chocolate, uh, to Porto and the uh, district of Porto to get a notion of the of the historical background of, of the city. I've I've been there, and although there are a lot of restaurants already open, uh, nine of them, uh, there's still more restaurants to open. And I visited the, the museum, the, the World of Wine Museum, taking you through uh, the way wine is made around the world and obviously with insights in Portuguese wine regions as well. So if you want to get that uh, wine class 101 in Porto, you should definitely pay a visit to the World of Wine. It has lots of interactive information. There are a lot of details also about uh, grape varietals from around the world. So it gets you familiar with that as well. And it even has a, a fun little wine tasting at the end, which was quite interesting in the sense that it uh, directs you from drinking wine into being able to taste wine as well. I noticed that it was right next to uh, Taylor Flagate, so I was wondering if it was associated with uh, with Flagate at all, and it sounds like it is. Now, 
this whole complex, they've got six museums there. You've got the wine museum, but they also have a cork museum and a chocolate museum. Do you, do you want to talk about chocolate in, in Porto and in Portugal and the importance of that? Well, we do love our chocolate, uh, although I have to say I, I am not the best of persons to talk about chocolate because I'm not a big fan of it, but I love the historical background of it. If you think about chocolate in, in Europe, immediately you'll think about Belgium and, and Switzerland, but Portugal and Spain, due to our historical connection with uh, our former colonies uh, in South America and, and in Africa, there was cocoa being uh, shipped here and chocolate being made as well. Um, I would have to say that any birthday or celebration whenever you want to offer something to, to someone, chocolate is high up there in your list of things to, to offer. Um, and in town, there are some really old school chocolatiers. One of them, Arcadia, uh, has been doing chocolate since 1933. You can even now find their newest editions of dark chocolate with port wine in it, uh, dark chocolate with scotch by Balvenie, oh. um, and even dark chocolate with uh, a spirit drink uh, called Aguardiente. Uh, it's almost like a moonshine that, that we have here in, in Portugal. So chocolate is, is really important for, for us. Uh, you will find it. There are even some, from my, from my childhood, there were even some, some games that you play with you would go, there's a chocolate tape called Regine, and you would puncture a, a tiny box and a, a little bit of chocolate would come your way as well. So, yeah, and come on, kids love chocolate. <laughs> yeah, of course. Now, at World of Wine, uh, you mentioned that, you know, they've got the museums and they also have a bunch of restaurants. And it sounds like there's going to be new ones opening. I was looking over the list of restaurants and I, it got me to thinking, are these brand new restaurants or are they restaurants that already exist in Porto and they've just opened a new outpost at World of Wine? No, 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 no. They're brand new restaurants, brand new restaurants. Uh, so Taylor's, the Flatgate Partnership decided to bring along a, a new world into the restaurant scene of, of Porto. So they're not a uh, franchise or outpost from other restaurants in town. They're brand new uh, with their view and also their their wines being sold in these restaurants. There's a, a wine bar, uh, there's a, a snack bar or a bar for you to, for a, uh, if you want to hang out during the afternoon with your friends, you can go there and you have a, a carefully selected list of, uh, of wines, coffee, beer, pastries. Um, there's a, actually a pastry bar as well. Then uh, restaurants with different fields. There's a, a fish and shellfish restaurant. There's a, there's one more attached. There's a vegetarian restaurant called Root and Vine. Trying to recall all of the, all of the places that are already, already open. There's the, the wine bar is already going. Of course, I looked right at the wine bar. That was the first thing that I did when I found out this place opened and I, I looked it up and, uh, you know, they've got an incredible wine list there as they should, but it's not overly expensive. I mean, I saw glasses of wine starting at five euro um, at the at the wine bar. Yeah. If there is one thing that I believe they're aiming at is they, they want you to go there. Uh, as I told you, it feels like a nice initial introduction to Portuguese world of wine. 
So they want you to to go there and and be able to choose a wine from each region and and drink it and trying to to, to learn from uh, what their region means through your palate. So you got to give it to them. It's it's in that sense it's really well and carefully thought through. It's not a snobbish approach, meaning that they want everyone to go there. It's the world of wine. <laughs> um, so yeah, of course that's you, you can buy. Uh, Glasses of wine starting at five years, but it goes up to 10, 15. Uh, there are some bottles of wine that can go f- to 120 euros. Sure, so sure. There's, there's a bit of everything for everyone, definitely. Before we leave World of Wine, we should point out that it's not specifically in Porto. It's across the river. And folks who listened to the first time we talked about Porto uh, already know this, but, you know, Porto is on one side of the river and then on the other side, you've got Villanova Gaia. Yep. And this is where all the port houses are. And this is where uh, you go and you do your port tasting. And this is where uh, World of Wine is. But it's also, it's, it's a really cool place just to go and walk around because to get there, you have to cross that cool Eiffel-inspired bridge I remember one time we were walking, you know, we went back and forth many times, but one time we were walking and some kids were um, getting ready to jump off the bridge. I, I, they were trying to, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, 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 squeeze a few euros out of the, out of the tourists. But, um, you know, you get a really beautiful view of Porto from the other side at, uh, at Nova. Yeah, Gaia definitely has one of the most beautiful views through uh, to Porto, actually. Uh, a lot of people say that uh, if not the best thing, one of the best things about Gaia is the view you get to Porto. It's it's uh, breathtaking beautiful, and the sunsets from there are actually quite quite beautiful as well. So you can you can enjoy a glass of wine at the end of the day, taking a look at the beautiful uh, scenery across the river, World Heritage Site by UNESCO, sun setting in the distance, and you're there enjoying a, a nice glass of wine from any other region in the country. So, yeah, I would I would say that the setting is quite unique. Let's talk uh because last time we talked a little bit about coffee and and some of the beautiful coffee houses in Porto, but what we didn't talk about was like sweets and pastries. And if you're going to have a cup of coffee, you need a little a little sweet to go with it. So, Andre, what are some of the typical sweets that we might get while we're in Porto? We love our sugar in the coffee get, coming not from a, a pack of sugar, but from uh, a pastry. Definitely. <laughs> we love our sweets and our pastries. Actually, um, if you take a look, walking in town, there's almost a, a bakery uh, in every single corner of, of this city. So uh, we definitely love that. Uh, what can you have? Well, obviously that the national highlight would definitely be um, the Portuguese custard. Uh, although not being from the city, being from, from Lisbon originally, it's all over the city. Uh, uh, if, I believe it should be part of our uh, nationality thesis. Uh, asking, with a cup of coffee, what's the pastry you should have? And you should answer, pastel de nata, the Portuguese uh, custard. <laughs> yes. So good. Um, it is really good with a little bit of cinnamon on top. Yes, yes. And the coffee to go along with it. It's it's right up there in one of my favorite breakfast combinations. You should also find a jesuita. A jesuita is a 
uh, a milafoya pastry um, with custard inside and then topped with egg white and sugar glaze. In town, there's one place that does it accordingly to the original recipe. They're called Moda. Definitely the reference for a, a Jesuita. But you'll find it in every single uh, bakery at the city. So the Jesuita, this... Jesuita, Jesuit. Oh, is this... Oh, okay, Jesuita. So the yeah. the Jesuits probably invented this. It seems like all the sweets in, uh, in Portugal are invented in monasteries. <laughs> um, maybe this is the story. I don't know. Uh, there's a, there are two fairy tales about it. So I'm going to sell you both and you can buy which one you want because <laughs> okay. that's what I did as well. <laughs> Good. Some say that uh, the baker that opened this bakery back uh, in the 19th century, he had worked in a Jesuit monastery in, in Spain. And as a tribute to them, he decided to call the pastry Jesuita. So this is one of the stories. Uh, the other one comes from the fact that the color of the glaze uh, is quite similar to the color of the Jesuits' uh, vests. Okay. So others say that the name of it comes from, from there. Really, just choose whichever you want to buy, just as long as you buy a Jesuita to pair along with your cup of coffee. And then <laughs> you could not care less about the, the origin of the name. But yes, I would like to highlight something that you said there. There's a lot of Portuguese uh, pastries and baking that comes from uh, monasteries and convents. And if you go back in time, there's, there's a reason for such. The Benedictine Code of Conduct demanded the nuns and, and monks to, to, to be industrious and to write. Uh, there were the, the scientists back in the 16th, 17th century. They were writing all of the recipes uh, that they would find in the region that they lived, uh, so that it w instead of going from mouth to mouth, it would be written in in books. And taking a close look at at what they did, they they actually used a lot of egg whites. Of course, that this that I'm about to say is fairy tale, but I'm, I'm I love this story. They were using egg whites as starch to iron their vests, okay. and also as a as a purifier agent. For, for white wine. Yeah, see, that's the story I heard, is that they use the egg whites as a clarifying agent for the, for the wines. Still today, actually, take a look at uh, the natural wine scene and biodynamic, and you'll see that they're back to using uh, the egg whites for such, meaning that they were left with a lot of egg yolks. Right. With the arrival of sugarcane in, in Europe, you get egg yolks, sugar, and they had a lot of free time in those convents and, and monasteries. Right, right. So adding all, adding all three together, the, the world of baking and pastries was just bloomed and exploded in, right there. There are, if you take a look at, and not this is the serious part of it, uh, if you take a look at uh, the origin of our pastries, they do come from, from, from monasteries and, and, and convents because, again, they had the resources that no one else had back then. So they developed baking and cooking back then in convents. So still today, things like the custards, the millefeuille technique, um, and other, like the, the sweet eggs, the ovos moles, the soft eggs that we do in Aveiro, yeah. but so many more, like pastéis de tentuga, 
there's a, a wide area of pastries that you can eat in Portugal that came from, from the convent tradition, definitely. In Porto, would you say that the Jesuita or the Pastel de Nada is the most popular uh, in Porto? I mean, I, we go to Lisbon, it's all Pastel de Nada. But in Porto, which one would you say is the most popular amongst the locals? I would say that there's definitely a divide. Although, because if you, if you walk around town, you'll see, you'll see both in almost every bakery window. And there's, I, I would, I'm not going to call it the bipartisanship of there's the, the, the defenders of Pastel de Nata and then on the other end, uh, the ones saying, no, it's Jesuita. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a diplomat here and I'm going to say okay. uh, it's definitely both of them, please, trying to please both parties, definitely. Okay, good, good. We've, we've talked a lot about wine. But one thing that we haven't touched on and that you're into with your company, Taste Porto, is the craft beer scene in Portugal. And, you know, as someone who hadn't been to Portugal until last year, I wouldn't immediately think of craft beer when I think of Portugal. But you guys have really become a hotspot for craft beer and enjoying enjoying different kinds of beer. So talk to me a little bit about craft beers in Porto. I'll, first of all, I'm 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 going to say I'm a I'm a liquid agnostic. I, I love all kinds of beverages, and the thing that passions me the most about thing about beverages is their historical background. Craft beer is definitely recent. Uh, the the first craft beer brand uh, born in Portugal was in 2011, Suvina. Uh, these guys have been doing a, a tremendous job being a tremendous job being pioneers. But from 2011 till today, we now have more than 150 brands of craft beer. Holy it exploded, um, as, you, as you pointed out accurately, and it, it keeps growing. Um, it's an open source world, you know? Brewers meet in craft beer bars, they debate their recipes, they fine tune their recipes talking with each other. So it's a really vibrant world. And Porto, um, and Portugal, I, I, I tend to say that we arrived late at the party, but we're, we're up there. Uh, Porto's Craft Beer Fest uh, that is held every single year in, in June hosts a lot of people. Last year, over 40,000 people visited the show wow. from around the world. Um, so craft beer scene is fast growing. It's a, more than saying that... It is due to the quality of the brewers, which it is. They have a true talent behind a lot of these brands, but it's also the the cultural approach on it. You know, uh, this scene uh, exploded after the economical crisis that swept through Portugal back in 2008 until 2014, roughly. And then you saw craft beer bars slowly opening around around the, in the country. In Porto, I'd have to say that. The place that created the safe ground for craft beer to explode uh, to, was Catraio, Porto's first craft beer bar. They opened in 2015, and for over two years, they were the only craft beer bar in town. Um, I like to call them uh, Ricardo and Bia, the owners. I like to call them uh, the founding fathers of the craft beer scene in the city. And they foster the scene. They foster the brewers over there. And nowadays, with the evolution of, of the craft beer scene, they have 
these monthly meetings in between the professional brewers and own brewers so that the knowledge keeps on being shared. And I love that view. So there's, there's a lot happening in, in Porto and in Portugal. And one of the things that I like to see in the craft beer scene is that it's gaining that complexity that the wine world has. You now choose the beer that you want to take to a, to a dinner event. If you're offering a beer to a friend, you're going to choose um, a craft beer that is either special or you feel that that person is going to enjoy. There are even some restaurants with craft beer pairing menus, not just wine pairing menus. So this complexity that goes parallel with, with wine is really exciting, I'd say. And more and more, you'll find restaurants with really good craft beers on, on their menus. It's something that uh, even some winemakers have been trying to tap into. Uh, one of the biggest uh, winemakers in the country, Spurão, uh, partners with Suvina. They actually bought the company and they now have some barrel aging uh, projects going on. There are even some craft beer brands with taking uh, port wine barrels to do barrel aging of craft beer. So, oh, cool! This is truly exciting, and and there's there's no limits into this. So I love this, and I love the way it allows us to go into our traditions as well. Because there's one thing that um, definitely goes below radar. Although uh, until ten years ago, roughly. Uh, in Portugal, it was all about mainly two beer brands, Superboc and Sagres. If we travel a little bit back in time to the 19th century, 1850s, downtown Porto, there were over 30 beer factories. Wow. Then uh, the Industrial Revolution uh, brought us homogenization like anywhere in the world. But now we're like the rest of the world, we're exploding to, to craft beer. I love this idea that you that some of these brewers have combined the port wine barrels with their beer. It just seems like an ingenious combination of, you know, the port wine industry that's been there for centuries going along with this new burgeoning craft beer scene. What a great idea. It is a fantastic idea. In Porto, one of the favorite things to do is go into a bar and get, um, you know, the snacks. You pair it with, you pair it with your wine could I go into one of these uh, craft beer bars and get some uh, pinchos and uh, have that with my uh, with craft beer? Yes, you can. There there are uh, some bars in town in which you can ask for a petisco, so our version of a small snack that you can have during the day with a with a craft beer. Places like Fabrica da Picaria they have a, a list of petiscos that you can order from Tiny Vifana that pork shoulder and belly sandwich, uh, a grilled hot dog, some dumplings like that we like to call risois to go along with their list of, of craft beers. So yes, there's, there's not only the possibility as it's growing and spreading throughout the city. Andre, you know, you said, you said something very interesting, which is Portugal has been kind of late to the craft beer party. I would counter that by saying, Anytime Portuguese people show up at the party, you know you're going to have a good time. <laughs> the party's going to be that much more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to stand correct and say, yes, I agree with you. So instead of saying we arrived late, we've arrived and we brought the fun with us. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. Andre, it's been a pleasure catching up with you again. 
and uh, glad things are going well in Porto. Um, my best to everyone in the city, and hopefully us Americans can get back to uh, Porto and Portugal in the near future, because Porto is definitely one of my favorite cities. We will be here to to welcome you. We also hope that this goes back to to normality or to the new normality in which we can we can all travel around the world. Because there's one thing that I'm a profound fan is what you can take out of traveling, and traveling is definitely one of the most important actions that one as a person can take to to open its mind horizons. Okay, there you go. That's my pal Andre Apolinario. Not only does he know everything about the food scene in Porto, but he's also a super smart guy. I'm glad he's my friend. There's a link to Andre's company, Taste Porto, in the show notes, as well as links to the places he talked about in this episode. You can get that at radiomisfits.com. Well, that'll put a bow on this week's show. Next week, it's all about beer. Beer, beer, and more beer in Copenhagen, Rio, Santa Fe, and of course, the best places to get a Guinness in Dublin. Until then, go to DestinationEatDrink.com for your foodie travel fix. If you need more Porto, I've got a whole foodie city guide to Porto with all my recommendations for places to eat, drink, and have fun. That's DestinationEatDrink.com slash Porto. And my latest blog post is a funny story about the first time I tried this fire water called Rakia. That's at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the high priest of Radio Misfits, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 